Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Full Plate, Full Cup. We're startup leaders turned executive coaches who believe that you deserve to be wildly successful and wildly happy. We interview trailblazing entrepreneurs, business leaders, and creatives so you can peek behind the curtain of how they got where they are today and start carving your own path towards success. Each episode shares personal stories as well as actionable takeaways that you can apply to begin living a more joyful and fulfilling life. Join us to learn how to scale your business, harness your power, and fill your cup. If you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. Thanks for listening. Host of top health and wellness podcast, Healthier Together, Liz and her world-class expert guests share fun, actionable, research-backed advice about gut health, hormone health, longevity, finances, relationships, mental health, and more. Liz is also a best-selling author, online creator with a social media following of over 900,000, and founder of Healthy Convo Co., a conversation game company designed to facilitate fun and life-changing conversations. Liz is also a dear friend. We used to work together. And one thing I love most about her is that there is no such thing as a boring conversation. So Liz, we are so honored to have you on the show today. Welcome to Full Plate, Full Cup. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I will say my buddy green was not one of my first jobs. It's like my seventh job. No way. What did you do? I so I did a lot of stuff like first of all my very first job was when I was 15 years old and I had my newspaper column so that was from when I was 15 to when I was 21 I think and then after that I ran an editorial team at a news startup for a while and then I worked at as creative director at a marketing company in New York I've been like all all over the place by the time I got I lived in London and been working on stuff there so like I was a rigid life experience by the time I showed up at your door. But you're oh, only 25 now. So like, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I just, I pack it in, you know, it's not the, what do they say? It's not the moments in your days or I, yeah. something like that. Sad Boring <laughs> conversations, no boring years. I yeah. feel like I remember there's a really interesting story about how you actually got your newspaper column when you were 15 years old. And so many people want to know, how do I get started in an industry, especially an industry as, you know, tough to break into as journalism. So if you don't mind sharing the story about how you got that column, I think it's so badass. Yeah, I will share that. I will share that story, and I will also share what my advice would actually be for somebody who is looking to get into journalism, which would not be to do what I did. Um, when I was 15 years old, I essentially waltzed into my local newspaper, and I was like, "You guys should have a column that is for teenagers that speaks to this demographic that you guys aren't speaking to, and it should be written by me." And they were like. Okay, I think they were mostly confused. You know, they were just kind of like, okay, that sounds nice. Um, and so I started to write it. It's called Out of My Mind, which my dad came up with because it's such a dad pun. Uh, and I it's at a therapist as well. Yeah, he is. And okay. he was like, you're crazy. <laughs> and also, these are the thoughts that are coming out of your head. Um, so I had that column and it slowly was just like caught on more and more and more. So it started up in the Thursday section of the paper, which was called Teens in the Newsroom, and it was for teenagers. Um, and then it gained in popularity and it eventually took over the Sunday slot that Dave Barry, I don't know if you know who that is. I remember. Like a famous newspaper columnist. So it took over his slot in the Sunday paper and was able to gain a larger audience. And then I was traveling with my dad 
And we were like in the middle of nowhere. And I got an email that was like from McClatchy, which is the syndicate that distributes my local paper. It's a national newspaper syndicate. It distributes papers all over the country. And I'd been running my column for maybe two or three years at that point. And it was like, we would like to run your column in papers all over the country. We just need you to fax us this contract or something (laughs) like that. I just remember like running around in the middle of nowhere with my dad trying to find a fax machine so that I could send my first fax of my life and have my column run nationally. And then it ran nationally for, I think, four years. And it was a really fun part of my college experience. I wrote it weekly and it really taught me a lot of discipline, especially because it really coincided with some of the more aggressively adventurous and party-filled years of my life. But every week I filed my column. um, And then I just kind of wanted to write about other things. After writing about yourself for six years, you kind of want to branch out your horizon. So that's the story of my column. It is the epitome of a never be the one to say no to yourself story, which is one of my absolute life mottos, my life mottos. Sorry, it's early for me. I know it's late for you guys. I got to warm up by talking. I've only talked to my cat today. Um, Pretty much the same, honestly. (laughs) Um, Rebecca has a beautiful cat for anybody listening. I mean, so does Liz. Our cats, our cats have yet to meet, but one day they will. I'm not sure they'll like each other as much as we like each other. (laughs) But never be the one to say no to yourself is one of my life mottos. It's gotten me so much in my life, starting with that newspaper column. It got me my first book deal. And the idea is essentially that there will be a million people in the world who can say no to you. But you should go and find that. You should never be on the list of people who say no to yourself. So if you want a job, if you want a raise, if you want to ask out that cute guy at the bar, which I definitely did, and he is now my husband, you should go out there and seek out the nose. It doesn't, it's not a permission slip for everything you want in your life to magically happen, but it does mean that you're voting for yourself every single time. You are always on your own side. And I've shared this on social media over and over. It's just one of my absolute driving principles in my life. And the stories that I get told are phenomenal. They're from people getting you know, $20,000 more at their job than they thought possible. They're from people meeting dream partners, getting book deals, getting TV show deals. There's so many really wonderful stories. So I always encourage people to go out and find the no, never be the one to say no to yourself. If somebody was looking to get into editorial right now, I think it would be for me a lot more about actually writing a piece in the style of the publication that you're pitching that they can kind of quickly slot in. In the digital world, everything is moving so, so quickly. When I was an editor, I was trying to fill spaces like, you know, all the time. We had so, so much traffic that we were trying to get every single week. People are really looking for SEO pieces so you could reach out and say, hey, I can do a lot in the health space. I can do a lot in the food space. Are you looking for SEO-driven pieces in this space? I've noticed that X, Y, and Z have really high search potential and I could write to them. You could write pieces in that publication style and pitch it to them so they know it's done. They could just pay you the money and run it that day. And then I would also really focus on headlines. I think editors think in headlines. So if you can create a headline that's in the style of that publication, a New York Times headline is going to look really different than a Mind Body Green headline or a Pop Sugar headline. And writing your headlines as if It was part of that publication, so the editor reading your pitch can already see it on their site or in their paper. I think that's really, really helpful. Amazing. You get such good advice, and I love what you say. Never say no to yourself. I think it's so, so smart. 
And I think that that's been such a big driver in your career and how far you've gotten today. So speaking today, you are an entrepreneur in every sense of the word. You're one of the most entrepreneurial people that I am privileged enough to know. But you weren't always an entrepreneur, right? We talked about that you started out your career working for other people in, in your own way, right? But what, was, but what was the tipping point when you realized it was time to, as you say, not say no to yourself and really strike out on your own? And further, how did you position yourself to take this risk in a smart, calculated way? Yeah, absolutely. So my last in-office job was at my Buddy Green. And I essentially wanted to go on a book tour and it was going to be more or less impossible. I was having my second cookbook coming out and it was going to be more or less impossible to give that book tour and really put the weight behind my own brand, my podcast, all of that in the way that I wanted to do while I had a full-time job. I was the food director there. So that was a very demanding position. So the pieces were kind of aligned at that point to I'd been working there for a really long time. I'd had a really wonderful experience at the company and I was kind of ready to branch out on my own. But one thing that I did is I kept writing for Mind Body Green for a good year after I left. So I set myself up with a weekly contract. I think I was doing maybe 10 articles a week. I kind of forget, but it was quite a few. And it accounted to half of my income for that year. And then when I was doing the calculations for if I should continue to do the freelance writing or if I should go all in on my brand, that was January 2020, which 2020 ended up being a very interesting year to branch out on one's own for unidentified reasons in January 2020. But it was it was pretty mathematical and logical where I calculated the amount of my income that I was getting from freelance writing and the amount of my time that I was spending on freelance writing and the amount of my income I was getting for my brand and the amount of my time I was spending on my brand. And once I had those hard numbers in front of me, it was much easier to make that decision. So I... I don't know. What do you guys think about the whole side hustle thing? I think it's so interesting because I, on one hand, I'm like, it takes the pressure off. It allows you to make better decisions as you're going after the thing of your dreams. But on the other hand, I'm kind of like, we're all burned out. We're all working so hard to tell people that to go after our dreams, we need to have our day job. We need to have our side job. I don't know. It feels exhausting sometimes. So I'm curious, how do we keep our our plates and cups. <laughs> yeah. That. You know, when I think about a side hustle, and and this is something that we teach all of our clients, is everything has to be in the right season and the right time, right? Like the way that you did it, where it was like, I'm going to create a one year, you know, mm-hmm. timeline for myself where I'm going to have this guaranteed income that will allow me to be creative, to take risks, to get, you know, exploratory without being like, oh, shit, I'm not going to make rent this month, right? Like, that's a smart way to have a side hustle. A side hustle shouldn't be something that makes you work 60, 70 hours a week for the rest of your life, right? Um, Rebecca likes to talk about doing a minimum viable test, right? To Mm. test the waters into a career by doing it as a side hustle, right? Like, for me, I got two kids, I got a mortgage, right? So, when I was deciding, do I go into coaching or do I stay in my you know, well-paid executive job, I wanted to be sure that I could make the money that I needed to make coaching. I made sure that people were willing to pay me the hourly or the package rate that I knew I needed before I was ready to cut ties. So I think with the side hustle, it should always be a limited time engagement, right? Like mm-hmm. six months, a year, you know, potentially a little bit longer than that if you were able to keep your cup full while you're doing it. 
but it should never be this long-term plan to be working like crazy because who wants to do that? That's not living. Yeah, I think that's so smart. It reminds me of something that Katie Milkman said. She's a former Healthier Together podcast guest and she studies behavioral science. She does. She's like the most quoted guest on my podcast. So by the time I had her on the podcast, I was like every other expert on the podcast has already referenced you. So I'm already like a huge fan. Um, but she talks about just running experiments and kind of doing them quickly because if they succeed then great you have that information but also if they fail great you have that information and so often we get caught up in like trying to play out the next 20 steps in our head when actually you don't know step three until you've actually done step one totally i talk about this a lot liz and maybe you knew this but when i was at my body green and i was considering going out on my own which i eventually did and I did it in the same way as you, where I freelanced with MBG for some time before fully venturing solo. I thought that I wanted to go into talent management. And so I, I remember picked, that, right? And so before jumping ship and going all in, I actually reached out to a few friends that I knew were looking for managers. And I said, can I manage you for a few months for a really, really small fee? And thank God I did because I very quickly realized it was not the right path for me. But by running those little experiments that are low risk, that you can gather a lot of data from, you really, really quickly learn what is and is not right for you. And that's how you unveil the next step in your path. Totally. Yeah. Agree. yeah. The only other thing I'd say about that is, you know, we talk a lot about the nervous system at Full Plate, Full Cup, because your nervous system really is the operating system of your, you know, human being, right? And so for some people, taking large risks is it feels okay, right? You can still operate in a somewhat normal way, even when you don't have a guaranteed check coming in next month. And there's a lot of uncertainty about where your resources are coming from. But for many of us, and certainly myself included, if I feel that I am unsafe, right? If I feel that the ground could fall out from me at any given moment, I am not able to operate in the way I need to, to be creative, to be compelling, to have people want to work with me. I'm just a basket case. And so it's important for people to understand how their nervous system operates. I am married to a highly risk-like tolerant person. He's always been an entrepreneur. He's willing to make large bets on early stage companies. And, you know, over the years, it's proven successful more often than not, thank God. But I was the one that was like, I need a W-2. I need insurance. You know, I, I, my nervous system is not a jump off the cliff type of <laughs> situation. So... That's the other piece of it. It's like logistical, but it's also energetic, right? You want to be yourself. Yeah. 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 Well, Liz, you have three of the sexiest job titles, right? You're an entrepreneur, you're a creator, you're a podcaster. And I think particularly perhaps the people like one generation behind us, but even people in, in our generation watch people that do what you do and think, oh, it's so glamorous. It's so fun. It's so sexy, but it's stressful, right? There's a lot of ups and downs that come with those roles. So how do you manage that on the day-to-day? -day? Well, I don't know what a generation before me would be because you said I was 25. So would that be like tiny babies? My kids, basically. Okay, great. Yeah, so that's all that already wants to be on YouTube, right? So yeah, <laughs> that's literally Amanda's son. Yes, literally. that's definitely going to be YouTube famous. Yeah. Um, okay, so I am in my 30s, just as a disclosure for everybody listening. I So it's interesting. I have an interesting relationship with that question because I do think that creators often fall onto two sides where, one, you see them experiencing burnout, depression, anxiety, and all these things are statistically found to be quite high 
in people who are creating content on the internet and people will say, oh, you can do any job you want. You're in this really enviable position. Who are you to complain when I'm going to this nine to five that I hate just to put food on my table every single day? And that has a lot of resonance for me. I've worked nine to five jobs and I do think that there's a lot of advantages for my positions. I can work out when I want. I can largely wake up when I want. I can set my own schedule and I recognize all of the privileges in that. At the same time, I do think that there are drawbacks to the job and I think it's highly over glamorized. So I think we can I think it's been really one side or the other in a lot of the conversation on the internet. And I think it would benefit everybody to kind of recognize that it is both because I don't think people should get into this job and just think that it's going to be wonderful all of free outfits. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's it's interesting. So I would say the hard part is that it is an always on job. There is never a moment both from the algorithmic perspective that you're not expected to be on. But also, even if you're not posting, you're thinking about content. If you are your brand, if your business is yourself, you're always going to be thinking about your business, even when you're on vacation, even when you're trying to take a break. And I think that that can get incredibly exhausting. Also, be having this audience online is so wonderful. I love my community. I love getting to have conversations with them. But there are both the trolls, which I'm lucky enough to not get very many of, but there are people who say really mean things, especially you can see your content tip on Instagram or TikTok where it bursts for the first few days. It'll be shown to your core community and you'll get the views from that. All the comments are lovely. And then there's a moment where it goes outside of that and then other people start to see it and you start to get the meanest comments in the world. And it's so depressing. But even within the core community, I get probably 500 plus DMs every single day. And I try to answer as many of them as I can. But it does feel like somebody's kind of always tugging on your shirt a little bit. It's this idea that you're kind of always answering to people. And these are the people I've tried to create content for. So I'm trying to answer them. And I really want to be accessible in that way. But it gets exhausting in a way that's almost hard to articulate. This idea of just always having people have questions for you, have things they want to say to you to kind of be that person for a lot of people can get really, really tiring. Yeah. Um, what else is hard about it? I really think the always on, I think if we could figure out, I think the next generation of creators is going to figure out how to have a maternity leave, which is something that I really struggle. My husband and I are trying to decide whether or not we want to have kids. And it really factors in that not only do I not have a built-in maternity leave from a financial perspective from my job, but also every creator I know who's kind of successfully made it through that period without having their account fall off in any way has either pre-banked a bunch of content. So I picture doing that pregnant and being like, well, that sucks. Or they've really been there shooting organic content from the second their baby is born, which is a great fit for some people, but I really can't picture doing that. I just kind of picture wanting no devices around me at all during that time. So it's a, it's a real concern when I think about having a child. And so I'm hoping the next generation figure out how to do that. And I think it's going to involve companies like Meta and TikTok stepping in and making some systemic changes. What I always say to people is I don't think it's enough to want to be a creator just to like have people want to look at you. I think that 
You should have something that you want to say and you should have an original way that you want to say it. I come from the magazine world, so I really view my content much like I would if I were starting my own magazine. I think in verticals, I have, you know, I tackle fitness, I tackle finance, I tackle relationships, I tackle food, I tackle wellness. And I bring that journalistic but accessible perspective. So that's the thing I bring. I'm like, I am a big sister who shares science-backed information. And I saw that as a big hole in the wellness market that I was very prepared and able to fill. I would be looking for, if you were viewing all the content on the internet, like it was a bunch of books or a bunch of magazines, what's not being talked about? What's a new way you can talk about? And what's going to really motivate you to keep being excited about creating content, even if people are telling you you're ugly, you're stupid, um, and you're working every single weekend and you don't get a maternity leave. Like what's going to inspire you through all of that stuff? Yeah. So touching on that, you know, you are so public facing, right? You have so many people think they know you, want to tell you what they think, what they want you to share. How do you stay true to yourself and your brand, your ethos and what you want to put out in the world when there's all of this noise, not just from your community, but also like Rebecca and I talk about this a lot, seeing what other people are posting, like, does that noise, how do you tune out that noise? I find that it's harder for me to not be myself. I think I've gotten in trouble for my entire life for sometimes being too much myself. Maybe there would, maybe I'd be more successful if I was able to more like look at popular creators and mirror some of the stuff that they're doing. But I like being myself. And that's kind of what I am to a fault. I will recommend, I think a huge thing that if you want to be a creator, a big balance to strike is your consumption versus creation. And I actually recommend this even if you don't want to be a creator. I think sometimes when we get that ick feeling, it can evidence as envy. It can evidence as a feeling of being not enough. It can evidence as just kind of like that yuck from within. Often it's because we are consuming too much and we're not creating enough. So I try not to consume too much content. And if I start to feel like that, I'll come up with my own video ideas or podcast ideas or work on something that I can put out to the world instead of just taking in all the content. And you can do that if you are a painter or a writer or if you write songs in your bedroom. Anytime you're getting that kind of ick, I'm not enough feeling, I always recommend leaning into creating versus consuming. Yeah. Even with our clients who are primarily executives or startup founders, right? We call it opinion shopping. It happens a lot when founders are putting a deck together to go out to investors, right? They'll show it to every single founder they know and then look at every other person's deck and start to spin and go crazy. And it's like, it's a freaking PowerPoint, right? Like, this is not what's going to get you a $3.5 million round, right? Like, this is just one tool. Like, you know, we, we call it opinion shopping. And we always say, like, two or three people is good, right? You want your little soul tribe of people that you trust who are going to give you good advice. And then beyond that, it starts to give you the ick, right? Like this. Well, and I think you can find yourself inadvertently copying. Like you always see this where big creators blow up and like Emily Kaiser right now, I think is her name. She does these like almost ASMR style vlog videos and she got completely like, she just blew up on TikTok for them. She has like millions of followers. Alex Earl, she does these get ready with me makeup things. And then all of a sudden you see your entire for you page is filled with people doing that exact style of content. And it's not working for them because when Alex Earl and Emily Kaiser blew up, they blew up for creating something new in this space. So I think that while there is a very natural human urge to say, well, that's working for them, 
I want to do the same thing. I think that tweaking that a little bit and saying what is actually working for them and what can I learn from that rather than just mimicking it. So what's working for them is creating a new original eye-catching way to share information. So what could be your new original eye-catching way to share information? Yeah. And speaking of, one of the ways that I think you share information really originally is through your podcast, Healthier Together, which if you are listening to this and you do not subscribe to Healthier Together, do yourself a favor and go subscribe and leave a review right now. Well, no, not right now. After you're done listening to this. After you're done listening. Rebecca, I like this podcast. (laughs) Um, So Healthier Together, it, it taps into the minds of expert guests And it really takes this overwhelming world of wellness and distills it into science-backed, actionable advice, which I think is brilliant. And you do do it so eloquently and in a way that's really engaging to listen to. I'm really curious, what about your time spent in the wellness world inspired you to take this unique approach with your podcast, Healthier Together? Mm, I think it's kind of what I was saying before, where it's that big sister accessible energy meets the science. In all of the publications that I work for, we were really focused on vetting people and vetting our sources and making sure that the information we were sharing was accurate and reflected reality as much as possible. And I really felt like there were so many podcasts out there that were very sciencey and they had really good information. And there were so many that were just like a joy to listen to. And I wanted to marry those two things. I wanted to have really interesting, cutting edge information, but I also wanted it to feel like chatty and fun and like you could listen to it while you were doing your makeup or driving in the car and you wouldn't fall asleep. And so I tried. I listen to it in the car. It's the it's the only podcast. Don't fall asleep in the car. <laughs> I mean, God, I hope not. <laughs> there's very, like there's ones that yeah and so I just really I really wanted to marry those two things and I think that my ability to vet and source and then also interestingly I think my ability to think in headlines that I learned from editorial was really helpful for me too so often I'll go in to an interview with the guest and I'll already have my topic fully formed in my mind so having a kind of topic for first podcast I think has been really helpful too because I think a lot of people think guest first um, and I think of the topic often and then I'll go and seek out the best guest to speak to that topic and I'll be like what is this topic that I'm really interested that I feel like my community is going to be really interested and I can kind of tackle it from that angle but yeah it really just came out of this desire to be like there's so much incredible information out there that can help us live our healthiest happiest lives that can help us tackle our finances our gut health our hormone health all of these things are happiness. We have a happiness podcast coming out next week that I'm so excited about. Um, we just did a three episode series on alcohol and our relationship with alcohol. And I learned all of these crazy facts about the health impacts of alcohol that I never knew before. And I've been in the wellness world for years and years and years. Like, did you know alcohol stays in your saliva for hours after you drink it? And so it can raise your risk of cancers of like the mouth and throat because it's in your saliva for hours after you drink it. I didn't know that. I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised. It's crazy, but or it stuns your stem cells so they can't make your hair and skin repaired and look really beautiful. So that's why people who drink a lot of alcohol will have less kind of glowing skin and less healthy hair. It's because their stem cells are literally stunned. So I was like, there's so much information out there that I cannot believe we don't know, but I want it to be fun to learn. I think 
I have a saying that wellness is a tool that should be making your life better. And the second that wellness is making your life worse, it's no longer wellness. So that applies to everything from I didn't go out to dinner with my friends because I was worried there wasn't going to be something I could eat on the menu to something like this podcast is really boring, but I feel like I have to sit through it because I want to learn this information. You know, we should be making our lives better as many moments of our lives as possible. 100%. It's this really delicate balance of wanting to do things that are good to you, for you, but not obsessing over doing the things that are good to you to the point that it actually becomes bad for you, right? 100%. You're really and good I, at that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I learn a lot from you, my friend. Um, always, whenever we go on vacation together, um, Zach and I like come off of it being like, we're going to work out. Like we come off on this like really good workout kick. And this time, actually, I would say, so we went to Palm Springs together last, I want to say it was like a year ago. Yeah. And I I feel like it got me back into a workout vibe that I've been doing almost every single day since. So no way. It makes me so happy to nice. do I remember Coach Rebecca. <laughs> I mean, it was an hour. I think it made you do like an hour long sculpt society or something that you're like, I don't like this length. But <laughs> you were always just like you made it like this very fun part of your day. And you actually really talked me into the joy of working out on vacation because it does have so many benefits for our mental health. And it kind of turns you on and it makes you excited to do whatever else comes next that day. It can also help with stuff like constipation, which many of us struggle with when we travel. So you're getting the anxiety benefits, the energy benefits, the gut health benefits, all of that. And I think a lot of us are like, no, no, I want to take break from it. But it's actually like doing that workout when you travel can make you enjoy your vacation more. And you were the person who taught me that. I'm so honored. And it did warm my heart when you texted me before this podcast that you were going to work out. So give me 30 minutes. <laughs> I was like, yes. I was like, my brain won't work otherwise. I can't do it. I I totally, I totally understand. Um, well, speaking of daily workouts and daily habits, I feel like that is your specialty. You are always introducing some cool new daily habit that's usually a really low lift with a big impact. And I know mm -hmm. that you've created a lot on your own. You've taken a bunch of inspiration from the guests that you've interviewed on Healthier Together. I'm really curious to know what daily habits have you implemented over maybe the past year that have totally transformed your life? Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting. So I'm in the process of editing my book right now, which is coming out in the fall. And the book is really kind of gathering and reflecting on a lot of the information that's been shared in the podcast over the years. And it's so funny to see the things that come up over and over and over and over that like every single doctor and expert is like, you need this one's a good one. You need to do this one. So I've taken on a lot of those ones and even more since I've been in the process of writing this book where I was like, oh, yeah, that is effective. I should incorporate that one back into my life. So my favorites, Cirque Walks, 100 percent. Cirque is short for circadian. Essentially, we're getting outside as close to when we wake up and the sun comes up for 10 to 30 minutes. Just do a little walk. You don't have to look good. I literally look like a trash panda when I go out. It's I've I am seen it and it's not cute. You don't don't try to yes. that's like one of my top wellness tips. And I think influencers ruin this for so many people is like you see these influencers and these like cute little workouts at and like at the gym and they look adorable and you're like, oh, that's the barrier to entry. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I wear the ugliest clothes when I work out. I roll out of bed. I wear the ugliest, like my hair is not done. I am not looking cute and that's okay. Um, 
I literally posted about that yesterday on Instagram. I own like 10 of the exact same workout outfit. I wear the like all black Nike. Nike sports bra, airy leggings, don't tell. Except for she makes su- super chic with it. So her version of trash panda is like chic trash panda. No, Honestly, the, I'm literally the form. The exactly same so. outfit. It is It is literally five of the same leggings, five of the same bike shorts. So it's the short version of the leggings. Yeah. Five medium impact sports bra, five high impact sports bra. Because, you know, I worked in sports bras, so we got to have both. Depending I mean, on South plus four. My top tips too is just we'll get back to circ walks in a second but to eliminate sources of decision fatigue make it easy for yourself yeah absolutely and i think looking at your life and saying what are the habits i want to implement that i have decisions to make around so what are the habits that i want to implement that i feel like i'm having a hard time getting over the hump and then that can be a really good place to examine do you just need a single outfit that you reach for every single time you want to work out? Do you want to just do the same workout every day so you don't even have to think about it? You just go and you push play on that YouTube video. You don't go to the gym. Like, What decisions can you eliminate around that habit that you're having a hard time implementing? I think is a really good one. But surf walks. You're just heading out the door. I brush my teeth. I use the restroom because I'm very regular. Our gut microbiome is actually on a circadian rhythm as well. So if you one of the best tips for constipation is if you're having a hard time going regularly to literally potty train yourself like a child, you sit on the toilet at the exact same time every day and your gut microbiome will start to like get on a rhythm and be like, oh, this is potty time. It works. One of the people have a hard time going on vacation is because your circadian rhythm is all messed up. There's a lot of factors that contribute to travel constipation, but that is one of them. So I'll use the restroom. I will brush my teeth and then I'll grab my sippy cup. Ooh, I tried to grab my sippy cup, but I have my sippy cup. I grab it with water and then I head out on a little stroll around the neighborhood. No sunglasses. You want the sun to be getting in your eyes, although you don't want to be looking directly at the sun. And just five to 30 minutes, a little bit longer if it's overcast. This is going to regulate your circadian rhythm, which impacts almost every single cell in your entire body. So that's going to help your hormones. That's going to help you sleep better at night. That's going to help your energy levels. It's going to help your gut health like we talked about. There's almost it's going to help your metabolic health. It's going to help you digest your food better. It's literally there's almost no part of your body that is untouched by your circadian rhythm. And your circadian rhythm is regulated by exposure to sunlight, although it doesn't need to be sunlight people are always like what if it's cloudy out the sun is still getting through but you just need a little bit longer if it's rainy the sun is still getting through so that is one of my all-time favorite tips just because it is the only expense is time which i recognize a lot of people that is our most precious commodity but it is free financially and it has such 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 a huge impact i had doctors on the podcast who will even just like brush their teeth outside you know, more could be better up to that five to 30 minute mark, depending on how overcast it is. But some is still better. Even if you can only open all your blinds and let the light in through your windows, that's going to help you more than not doing anything. Even if you could just brush your teeth outside, it's going to help you more than not doing anything. So any of that early in the day sunlight exposure in your eyes, I love that. I do a green smoothie every single morning. I love it. I find that starting my day with something that one I really look forward to it tastes so good I don't drink coffee but I wake up craving the taste of my green smoothie in a way that I imagine coffee drinkers seem very excited for coffee in the morning that's the one thing I've learned about coffee drinkers is that it seems to be the thing that gets them out of bed in the morning and if they don't get it they get very grumpy 
Um, my husband is the main person I'm speaking about. Oh, and this is, he's obsessed with coffee. Yes, he is a big, big, big coffee drinker. Uh, but I feel the same about my green smoothie. I love it. It gets me up in the morning. It tastes so good. I pack it with healthy fats, healthy proteins, with vegetables. And so before 10 a.m., I've had more vegetables than many people eat an entire day. So that's a big one for me. Other ones I'm loving. My daily workout habit has actually changed my life. I never, I, I was always like, I don't know why it took me so long to get over the workout hump. It was one of my last health things that just didn't click for so long. And I think I kept lowering the lift for myself until I finally could stick to it. And now I just love it. I crave it on days that I don't work out. I feel so much worse. I just, I have this like buzzing anxiety. And when I work out even just 20, 30 minutes, which is what I do at home, I do an app at home 20 to 30 minutes, I feel that buzzing anxiety dissipate. And it just, oh, it's so good. We love, we love all of those tips. Well, so whether it was back when you were still in journalism or what you do now with your podcast, you've always been drawn to interesting conversations. And as as evidenced by today, you're a master at having really interesting conversations. So what would you say in your expert opinion makes a conversation interesting and meaty and and good? Yeah. So there's a few actual science back tips for this. I had Dr. Marissa Franco who She's a psychologist, but she studies friendship and relationships. And we did an episode together about how to make friends as an adult, which is an incredibly hard thing to do that I think we need to talk about more because community has been shown again and again and again to be one of the number one indicators of happiness. So it's like we're all sitting here being like, well, how do I form community? But it's actually one of the most important things for our health and our happiness. So number one is to be vulnerable. People think that vulnerability is going to turn people off. But actually, people love it. They opening up even about something really tiny. Like if somebody says, how was your day? You could say, I actually had a really challenging morning and here's why. And we think, oh, that's going to be like such a downer and they're going to be turned off by this. But actually, people feel so much more connected to us. And that connection helps build further conversations and deepen your relationship Two, This is one of my favorite tips. Assume that people like you. So we assume that people like us, they are more likely to like us. It is literally shown in science that if we think people like us, they are more likely to like us. So if you go into conversations, even if you're pretending, even if you're just saying in your head, these people love me. Why wouldn't they love me? Even if you don't believe it, you're going to go into the conversation with a completely different energy and a completely different type of conversation than somebody who is like, oh, why would they want to talk to me? I don't have anything worthwhile to say. So assume people like you. That'll get you over a huge hump. And then three, one of my all-time favorite tips for being a good conversationalist is perhaps counterintuitive, but it's to listen, which is something that a lot of us don't do anymore. It is shocking to me how often I'll go out to a restaurant and I'll see one person talking and the person they're talking to is like half on their phone scrolling I think that being an active listener, an active engaged listener is one of the best conversational gifts that you can give to somebody. You're giving them your attention. You're giving them your time. I know it's hard. I know we live in a distracting world, but that was a great tip from Dr. Marissa Franco as well on the podcast, which was to look for the conversational cathexis. So I think this is a really great trick to kind of keep your attention on the conversation. The conversational cathexis is that one thing that people kind of really want to talk about and you can tell, but they're not necessarily talking about it. So you can tell people kind of like keep 
bringing up their kid over and over again or they're crochet it's crochet i want to say croquetting but it's crocheting right crocheting <laughs> yeah i'd be like this croquetting. i'd like to croquette right now but i like to make tapas that's my hobby you're <laughs> croquetting or your crocheting hobby you can kind of tell or this trip that they have coming up or their home renovation you can kind of tell these like it keeps slipping into the conversation. So you're doing two things when you're looking for the conversational cathexis. You're using a tool to keep your attention coming back over and over and over to the conversation because you're looking for that thing that people are excited about. But then when you find it, you're giving people this incredible gift of asking more about the thing that they're really excited about, which is going to make them feel seen. It's going to make them feel connected. It's going to open up an opportunity for them to bring that vulnerability to the table because it is something that's very close to their heart. So it has all of these cascading benefits. So I love looking for the conversation. When I never heard the word cathexis until I did this interview. And I was so excited. I was like, wait, say that again. Yeah, it's a cool word. It's a satisfied word. I feel like yeah. our conversational cathexis is saying the word cathexis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's keep talking about it. <laughs> Every time someone says cathexis, you don't drink because it'll mess <laughs> make your hair not as beautiful. Uh, I love that so much. You know, with our, um, in the context of work, because obviously we are executive coaches, um, we like to talk about having generous expectations. So it's kind of like assuming people like you, but the more like professional version, right? Assume, have ge- generous expectations. Assume that that slack was not meant to be snarky. Assume that that email mm. was meant to be matter of fact and not bitchy, right? Just assume the best. Because what's wrong, like what's, even if it was, like you're yeah. still so much better off. Exactly. And you don't know. So have generous expectations. Assume the best. If they prove otherwise, that's another story. But I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. yeah. And then I guess I would be remiss not to mention that I think people always want to have deeper conversations and sometimes we can feel comfortable bringing it up. I own a conversation card game company, so I do need to mention it's called Healthy Combo Co. And we have conversation starter cards. And I think they're really fun because you're not asking the question. I think they're especially great if you're just kind of like hanging out with people in the car or you're hanging out with people to party. You'd be like, oh my gosh, I have this like conversation starter card. Should I read it? Ha <laughs> ha. Like, should we do it? People will do it with their partners like while they're making dinner all the time. And it takes that scariness away from it because again you're not asking the interesting question the card is but then you get to have these really simulating thought-provoking conversations and you're not kind of caught in the rut of like how's your day how's work going how was your weekend etc yeah what was the um like aha or the light bulb moment that led to you saying healthy convo co needs to exist in the world it really was a light bulb moment i remember i was out for a hike which is where i have all of my best ideas, like a hundred percent, even down to we're going to Ben. We live nomadically. We're going to Ben next month. And um, my husband, he loves skiing and he's gotten really, really into skiing this year. And we were out, I was out on a hike by myself and I was like, we should do a ski month, you know, because we've been doing so many nomadic months for me because I'm afraid of winter. And I was like, he would love a ski month. So every good idea I have for my relationships and for my business is had on a hike. And I was out on a hike And I just, people would send me DMs all the time and say, I love the conversations you have on the podcast. How do I bring those types of conversations into my everyday life? And I'd kind of give them some tips like I just gave you right now. Um, But I wanted to give people a tool and a resource that they could start to bring those conversations into their everyday life. So I had the idea. I came home and I told Zach about it. He was like, I absolutely love it. 
we started brainstorming the conversation starting questions first, like you we were kind of talking about before, like running a little bit of an experiment saying, do we have something different to offer in this space? Can we come up with conversation starters that are going to really galvanize the types of conversations that we're hoping that people have? And they they flowed so easily that it, we were just like, yes, this is it. And then we started testing them out. I mean, we, we started with so many more than we ended up having in the decks because it's so fun. Like, it's one of my favorite things is to come up with these questions. But then we started testing them on people in our lives. And one question would start like an hour of conversation. And I still get this question or this comment from people who buy the decks all the time is they'll be like, we got through three cards last night because mm -hmm. it just start every card starts such a long conversation. And so when I started getting back, I was like, yes. And then I, one of the best advice I have for entrepreneurs is you should want to use your product every day. I always bring one of the decks. So we have four now. One is for journaling. One is for workplaces. It's called working together. So it's for like Zoom meetings and office spaces. We have one called Ranchier Together, which is our R-rated version. It's great for like couples dinner parties or a bachelorette or something like that. And then we have our original deck, which is conversations for all time. So I will almost at every dinner bring out Ranchier Together or the original deck because I think the conversations that it starts are just so interesting. And I get to know people that I've had in my life for years in this completely unique and different and special way. So I'm always looking for excuses and reasons to bring the deck out. And I think that's a really good sign, too, that you have a product that you should be putting out in the world. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I, I can attest the, the decks to dinner <laughs> and like literally. Um, but I think that's such brilliant advice that if you are an entrepreneur or even when you're thinking about a company that you want to work for, right? Do you love the product? Are you proud to use the product? Do you want to share it with others? Is it something that you benefit from incorporating into your daily life? Liz, we're running out of time. So I'm going to ask you one more question, which is you have created what I think at least and what I hope you feel is a really beautiful, fulfilling, creative life for yourself. And something that we work a lot with people on is bringing more joy and fulfillment into their work and in their lives. So what is your best piece of advice for anyone who is seeking just that, more joy and fulfillment in their lives? Okay, I have two concrete ones that I think are a little different than a lot of the stuff I've heard before. One is to take micro walks once an hour. So this is a three minute walk outside. I think that we really underestimate the importance of giving ourselves mini breaks. It helps with so many things, but I think giving our mental health a moment to say, I exist as a person. My worth isn't based in my productivity. My days aren't just staring at a screen, staring at an inbox is really important. And then the health benefits of literally a three-minute micro walk several times a day, it outperforms much longer workouts in a number of studies. It helps with our metabolic health. It helps with our mental health. It helps with our creativity. So it has so, so, so many benefits. And I think that that's been really helpful for just bringing these micro pockets joy to my day. The second tip that I would say is to focus on being productive, not busy. This has been a huge theme of my company in the last, I took on my first full-time employee last summer, and we've been talking about this a lot internally, is we don't want to be a butts in seats company. We want to be measured by our outputs. I The idea of making somebody sit there and clock hours 
makes me want to throw up when they could be taking that time to replenish themselves to come back more filled their cup their cup more does this happen in every podcast that you do you're just like pretty bad just yeah wants to have a full cup yeah Um, with their cup more filled up and just ready to actually be productive the next time that you're doing work so we truly try to focus on for myself and for my entire team on outputs what are we trying to accomplish in a big picture way you know what are we trying to accomplish this year next year five years down the line and what are we trying to accomplish this month this week this day and i don't think that needs to be measured in hours per se so i really try to focus with all of my work on being productive and not being busy. And I find that that frees up my time, but it also fulfills, it It fills me with a sense of purpose because I'm not just working for the sake of working. I'm working with end goals in mind. And that's really, really motivating. I love that. I love that. Um, so along those same lines, two rapid fire questions that we ask everyone. Oh, I love rapid fire. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. And I know that you didn't prep these in advance. So this is literally on the spot rapid fire. Yeah. Question one. What is your best tip for working smart? Oh, that's not productive, not busy. My best tip for working smart. Okay, I have one, which is to fuel your brain. I think that often we expect ourselves to perform at really high capacity without recognizing that our brain is part of our body and we're not actually giving our body the fuel that it needs to perform at really high capacity. I had Dr. Tara Swart-Beaver on the podcast. She's a neuroscientist. She's amazing. And she does, and she's a medical doctor too, because she's just like an overachiever. Um, and she talked about how important it is to give our brains and our bodies the fuel that they need to thrive. And often what we think of is like, oh, why can't I make great decisions today? Why can't I be as productive as I want to be? It's literally like, have we eaten enough calories? Have we moved our body? Have we had enough micronutrients and healthy fats? So I think of thinking of your brain as something that you need to take care of to have it perform rather than something that exists separate from your body and should just be expected to perform at all times is really important. I love that. I love that. I mean, as as we say internally, a full plate, full cup, full ass belly. So that's what that's you got to eat the full plate, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, of the plate, and then you eat it all. Obviously. All right. And second, rapid fire question: What is your best tip for working happy? Ooh, working happy. I mean, get your husband to work from home with you. Uh, it's really helpful. I mean, actually, it's an extension of that. I do think that we really underestimate the importance of community in our work. There have been studies that show that workplace happiness is more determined by the people that you work with than the actual work that you're doing. And we spend a lot of time focusing on like, am I doing my dream job when actually sometimes it might make more sense to ask who are the people working at this company? Are those my dream people rather than the actual work that you're doing? And I think in this day and age, so many people are working from home that we forget that we need to be intentionally filling our lives with that community. And we start to feel the effects of it, but we don't necessarily know where it's coming from. We start to just feel sad and lethargic and under-motivated and all of these things. And I'm a person who's struggled with mental health issues for almost my entire life. And for me, community is as critical as any of the other tools in my mental health toolbox. It's as critical as therapy. It's as critical as meditation. It's as critical as working out. So when I'm working from home, which is the vast majority of my job, I'm being very intentional about the community that I have, whether it's friends that I'm voice noting throughout the day or scheduling a walking phone date with a friend at noon or something like that, 
or filling my evenings with social activities with people. But I'm really, I think being very, very, very intentional about the importance of community in your life is key to our happiness. Mm, I love that. Where can our listeners find you? Yeah, so I'm really easy. I'm just Liz Moody and healthy. Actually, so that was my old spiel, guys. I, I have added new things to search for people on. So Healthier Together is the podcast. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts just by searching Healthier Together. As I've talked about, we cover everything from gut health, the hormone health, the finances to relationships, like to neuros, like your brain, everything. It's We really define health as the health of your whole person and living your best life. And then we have my social. So that's Liz Moody on TikTok and on Instagram. We have the same types of concepts, but distilled into fun little actionable tips that you can employ right away in your life. And then I have Healthy Convo Co. So that's healthyconvo.co. And that's where you can get all of our conversation starter games. So you never have to have a boring conversation again. So exciting. We need to buy the working one to share with our clients because what a fun icebreaker. So that's it. And that's a great like gift. Yeah. Client gift and boss. Oh, a client gift. Oh, yeah. We've had a bunch of like uh, companies just order them and they'll either give it to their clients. I'm like, I'm not great on corporate structures, but real estate people also have ordered it to like give to somebody in the real estate. Right. Because they have to give so many gifts every so many gifts. So many. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's a great one. And it's all very like, you know, safe for work. And also it employs a lot of like working psychology, like team building and mentorship and building in those vulnerability points that are going to make working together more enjoyable and more productive, but in a way that's very work appropriate. Love it. Well, Liz, thank you so much. We are so honored to have you on the show. You are literally a like spring of really interesting and fun information. And I'm sure that people will get so much out of this episode. Um, Thanks so much for your time. We are so lucky to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Yay! Thanks for joining us for this episode of Full Plate, Full Cup. If you found this episode helpful, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share it with a friend. To learn more about the Full Plate, Full Cup methodology or to work with us in a more personal way, find us on Instagram at Full Plate, Full Cup. That's at F-U-L-L-P-L-A-T-E-F-U-L-L-C-U-P or online at www.fullplatefullcup.com www.fullplatefullcup.com